Welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to making you a faster cyclist, the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. I'm Coach Jonathan Lee, and here with me is Coach Chad Timmerman. Hello. And CEO of Trainer Road, Nathan Pearson. Hello. Nate Pearson. Sorry, I called you Nathan. You um, can do that. <laughs> and this is where you can get answers to your coaching questions, whatever they may be related to cycling or triathlon. And you can submit those questions to us at support at trainerroad.com. Uh, we'll go through our, we'll do our best to get to all the questions that you guys send in and, uh, we'll answer them. At, we try to do this every week, but it changes from time to time, but we'll answer them here and you can find this podcast and listen to those answers on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher and anywhere else where you find or listen to your podcasts. Uh, you can find us on iTunes there or any of those places by searching for trainer road or ask a cycling coach and please leave us a review while you're there. Um, we like positive reviews, but we'll take whatever you guys can get us. So you can email us negative reviews too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <That's fine>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll take care of those privately. <laughs> um, let's start things off this week with, uh, Richard. Uh, Richard has a question. I think this one will go well with you, Nate. Um, if I'm racing a 70.3 race, and for those that don't know, that's a half Ironman, what data fields would be most beneficial to me on race day? Heart rate, intensity factor, normalized power, 10-second power, speed, cadence, distance. Which of the above would you want to see on the main page of your Garmin bike computer? Yeah, so this one's going to be its kind of individual to different people, but I'll tell you what I do and my thinking about it. One, heart rate. Uh, I have gone to not even wearing a heart rate strap during triathlon races because heart rate can like get in my head. Like I'll be at a power like, Oh, my heart rate's too low or too high. And it will just kind of mess with you. And it can be uncomfortable while you're running and stuff. And I just been sticking with pace on the run and power on the bike. Um, intensity factor. That's not important. Uh, I wouldn't even use normalized power because what you want to do is it's just like our workout. If you have a you should have a target goal power if you're using a power meter for your half marathon or your half Ironman. So let's say the bike like 56 miles, uh, your target's 200 watts. So what I would do is I would have my power meter on and depending on what kind of power meter, I'd have a different amount of smoothing. So maybe a cork five, you say 10 seconds, that's probably uh, great too. And I would make sure I have the gearing for that course where I can hit that 200 watts everywhere. Um, I, we just did one at Lake Tahoe and I had to get a, uh, compact with the 28 because there'd be some like seven, 8% grades and I'm 200 pounds. And just to keep down, I think my, uh, for an Ironman, my target wattage was like, uh, 200. So it was, I had to, uh, really, I had to actually lower my cadence a little bit. I, I could have used more gears, but in general, so one is, uh, power five or 10 second power. Um, I like speed and speed. The only reason I like that is for when to get out of the aero bars. I talked to uh, Ryan Cooper from Best Bike Split. And if you don't know about him, he does some amazing aerodynamic predictive analysis based on the power. Um, and he knows all about drag for um, time trialing. And he says, the time to switch from being in, in general, the time to switch from being in the drops or being in your aero bars to kind of being more upright and being on, the, on your uh, horns would be at 14 miles per hour. So when I do a race and I climb, as soon as I hit that 14 miles per hour, I kind of get up and I stretch. It's a little easier to put out more power. And uh, the aerodynamics there, you're going so slow that they're not going to be as impactful as the power, the efficiency increase you'll get for being upright. Um, I do sh look at cadence too, to make sure my cadence in the, that range that I've been training in, which is normally 90 for me. And then I also show distance because if it's, you know, you're going 56 miles, it's nice to see that you're halfway through a quarter way, um, something like that. So the fields that I like are power smoothing, speed, cadence, and distance. And then I wouldn't show heart rate or intensity factor or normalized power at all. When you say power smoothing, Nate, you're talking about your, your live power and how do you smooth that uh, at what interval? Yeah. So, uh, either at five seconds to 10 seconds, if I have a power tap, probably more close to five or three. And then if I have a cork, maybe five, if I had something on the actual pedals, like uh, Garmin vectors or the new, uh, power tap pedals, probably more 10 because it'll be a little jumpier, but in general, your power should be really smooth in a triathlon. Um, so just I, 10 isn't, 10 isn't a bad idea at all. It's, it's probably pretty good. Right. Any, any further beyond that with power smoothing, there's a lot of debate on what they want to run, but really like Nate said, there's a really good point with this. Um, I know I've ridden by normalized power and it's only, and, and I've had that data field on my Garmin at times. 
or when I race, it can really put you in a tough spot. Um, because sometimes you'll be doing a race and you just may not, you're, you're tired that day. You may not be able to ride like what you need to. You have a goal on what you need to maintain from normalized power. And if you push yourself to hit that, then sometimes you can put yourself in a hole early on in a race. And you know, that's, that's a bad spot to be in. But for most of us, it's much better to have power that smooths appropriately for whatever you are used to and whatever works best for you and to look at that power live. Yeah, for so when you're racing uh, a half Ironman, normalized power should be pretty much equal to uh, ideally it'll be equal to average, average power. power. Yeah, yeah. But so what that means is you're not you're having a very smooth power output. If you're really spiky, then you'd have a high normalized power and a low average power, which you don't want. Um, the other thing is that I wouldn't show like um, average power, as that could kind of get you into a thing where oh I have to. I'm chasing this 200. So maybe at the end of my 56 miles, I'm going to raise my power up 10 watts just so I can raise my average from 198 to 200. So I feel better, like I've hit it. But then you're going to pay for that on the last 10K of your uh, run and, and you're going to lose more time that way. So just, just like our workouts, go second by second and hit your power. And as Jonathan said too, I said, don't look at heart rate, but I, I do think you should go off RPE. If you start, you know, you had a hard swim and you start the bike, and hitting your goal power is extremely hard. Back it off five ten watts and go, and then and then put it back up. But just don't try to chase heart rate during a race. Yeah, and also um, let your Garmin screens be indicative of how you plan to pace. And what I mean by that is, um, and ideally pace by power, right? That's the best. That's the best tool to use. Um, but let's say that you want to pace by power, but you've always chased this bike split, and you've always wanted to, I don't know, hit like a five thirty bike split on a full Ironman or something like that. If that day you're experiencing a lot of wind or for some reason there's more drag than normal that you're experiencing, you're not going to hit that time. And that time might tempt you to actually break whatever power goal you have for the day. Then your Garmin's your worst enemy. Um, it's, it's really important to make sure that if you do have that, that maybe if you're going by power, maybe don't have time on there when you're on the bike split, if that's going to cause you to be tempted to diverge from whatever the ideal pacing scenario is. What Um, what can also be helpful, especially in the case of, you know, these steady state time trials, which is basically what they are, um, at at the half Ironman distance and full Ironman distance is, uh, to have intensity factor. So if you know, um, during training that you're shooting for an aggressively paced, maybe, as high as 88, uh, 0.88, 0.90 IF for the 56 mile bike leg, um, then, then regardless of the conditions, maintaining that intensity, even if it takes, you know, uh, maybe it takes you two and a half hours, maybe it takes you three and a half hours, but you know, you can maintain that particular intensity for a, a margin that wide, then intensity factor can be useful even in uh, really buried conditions. Well, it's, that's just the same as average power though. It is. Yeah. But if you want to look at a, a, a different metric, he, he suggested intensity factor. Um, it's, mm-hmm. it's just another one that is basically interchangeable with average power and, and it may be even, maybe even a little better in that you can settle into your intensity factor, whereas your average power may start a little bit low and then creep up and you might be tempted to elevate it a little too quickly. Whereas intensity factor, you can gently nudge up until you get into a specific range and then try to hold it there. Chad. So I think you're saying something different than me. And as I'm saying, don't look at the averages, just go, uh, second by second and try to hit your target. Yes. And that is. You're, yeah, and you're on saying that much though, we agree. Yeah. Are you saying though on the intensity factor? So you're halfway through and your intensity factor is a little low. Should you ride the second half then higher to try to up that intensity factor? Yeah. No, I, I, you know? I think you still always have to come back to perceived exertion. I mean, if you're if you feel like you're overdoing it and the intensity factor is a little out of reach that day for whatever reason, maybe you push the swim a little bit. Maybe you're just not as fresh as you could be. Then you know, you have to uh, give priority to, to RPE, but, uh, intensity factor and trying to keep that even or, uh, level smooth is probably a bit easier than power, even like three second or five seconds smooth power. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I find I was is, gonna, I was going to say that I, I think that the, the key to this is be committed to a metric, whatever that may be, you know, like th- don't don't throw every metric in front of you on the screen because uh, on the other side of the coin, let's say you go through and you pace extremely conservatively and you actually have left a lot on the table for the second half, then an average may be more effective in 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 helping you exploit all of your potential there. But at the same time, just be committed to a metric, whatever you're using on your Garmin. Um, I find that if I have every metric available to me, 
I'll look at those different metrics to try to get to many times find the more rosy perspective on my performance. <laughs> and when I'm going through in a long, a long event, you know, I'll, I'll look at it with average power, but maybe that's not exactly how I want to look at it right now because it doesn't make me feel as good about what I'm doing. So just, but just be committed to a metric, whatever it is that you're going to be using to pace. Yeah. Just to beat my point in a little bit harder, cause I'm sure everyone's bored by now. <laughs> the, um, doing, uh, I, second by second, and I wouldn't really go too much off RPE because ba- because you have a half marathon to run afterwards, and I always feel good during the bike, right? And maybe the last like two or three miles, I start to feel bad. That's probably a bad sign, but uh, especially with an Ironman too, right? Like halfway through, I feel amazing still. This is easy. I'm gonna up it. I'm gonna chase that other one. I'm gonna you know make the second half just a little bit harder so I can hit that power that was my my previous target. I say just go second by second and follow your plan and then run your pants off for the last 10K. (laughs) Robert, I've been on Trainer Road for a few weeks now and I'm loving it. The structure, the workouts, and probably the most important aspect, pedaling technique, which I never paid much attention to. Uh, This is one area for me to work on as I have had four operations on one knee, ACL and cartilage damage. Dang, four operations on one. That's rough. Um, My question is, I am a time crunch cyclist, a job, children, spouse, etc. And the only time I can really train is before work. I've been doing the workouts mainly fasted or just a piece or two of fruit before before and a spoon of honey. It's not detrimental as I feel I can handle it all so far. Is there any detriment to this long term though? As I just cannot sleep if I've done or and he says that I, I cannot sleep if I've done a late evening workout and I feel amped and hyped up. Um, many thanks, Robert. Chad, uh, you're you're an early trainer. Yeah, no um, long term, nothing detrimental as far as I know. And I don't see why anything that isn't detrimental short term would would become so long term. Um, typically out of bed, you've got enough glycogen to, to work really hard for an hour long workout, especially considering those hour long workouts really are comprised of a warm up, a cool down, plenty of recovery periods, and maybe in total 30, 40 minutes tops of, of intensity. Um, and then what you eat after it is up to you also. It depends. Uh, a lot of people get foggy when they're glycogen depleted coming off of a hard workout and then they got to head to work. So certainly eating after is can be of, of great consequence, but even then, um, there, there's, as far as that, uh, 30 minute post-exercise, uh, intake window, nutrition intake window, even that could be debated, but as far as doing these depleted or in a fasted state, I see no problem with it. If you're getting through it your target is, is, or your power's on target and, and you're completing the intervals as prescribed, you feel like you're working as hard as you could work, then you're good to go. If you find yourself falling short, then maybe that spoon of honey or, or, or a piece of fruit is actually necessary. But I question whether or not you even need that. The only danger is becoming an overly bubbly morning person (laughs) over time. (laughs) You'll be that guy that comes into the office that people hate, right? Um, Paul, uh, Paul has a couple questions and they're, they're two different ones. Uh, first I am currently doing hill repeats every Wednesday as part of my training program. The climb that I use averages around 6% and takes a bit over 20 minutes. Uh, These efforts are done at a bit above threshold. Um, and as a side comment, you say, I use 285 Watts as a threshold when indoors, but averaging anywhere from 305 to 320 Watts on these repeats couldn't possibly hold 320 Watts right now on the trainer. Um, we've talked a lot about that in previous podcasts, Paul. So hopefully we've got some advice to help you understand the, the difference there between indoor and outdoor power. I generally do one of the repeats for time, uh, one as a force workout by pedaling a gear or two harder than I normally would. And the third, anyway, I feel like. I'd be interested in your thoughts about other ways these repeats might be done. Some people talk about doing things like repeatedly accelerating from a low cadence or big gear as a means to build force. Chad, you've talked about those uh, to, at, a, at length here on the podcast. Others talk about over-under type variations. I would be interested in your thoughts and useful variations I might experiment with for these intervals. My goals with these repeats are to build FTP and to build your force and strength. And you say that's a limiter for you and break 20 minutes on a similar uh, test piece climb that I do on occasion. So it seems like the main goal is really to build FTP because time will come after that. Um, so Chad, do you have any suggestions for things he could do on varying his, or the, the intent perhaps, or structure of his intervals there? Sure do. Yeah. Um, Paul, you, you hit on probably the key term in my opinion, and, and that's useful. So make them useful at uh, different times of year. That's going to be different things right now. It sounds like you're focused on FTP. Um, I, I like basic over-unders for that. You work a little below threshold, then you push yourself a little above threshold and you basically 
just undulate uh, between those two ends of a, a very narrow spectrum, you know, a little under, a little over 5% is, is my go-to power range, 5% above or below. Um, and then you can change them any way you want to. I mean, maybe you need to work on speed endurance. Maybe you're experimenting with different climbing cadences. Um, maybe you know that you're going to be in a, a racing scenario on a hill where people try to jump away and you need to be able to put in little 30 second digs. So you can vary them based on specific goals like that. In terms of FTP improvement improvements, I would stick with uh, over under slightly below, slightly above for the duration of each interval. And his next question, um, he says, from various sources, including Allen and Coggin, the quintessential sweet spot or threshold workout seems to be a 2 by 20 format. That's two 20-minute intervals. Uh, variations include adding a third 20-minute format or perhaps extending to 30 minutes. And he notes, which is generally done by people who enjoy slamming their hands repeatedly <laughs> in car doors. <laughs> that's about right. Um, that's pretty funny. Uh, in reviewing your, tra- your training plans, I can find few, if any, threshold or sweet spot workouts using 20-minute durations. Uh, most steady sweet spot or threshold efforts seem to be no more than 12 minutes, uh, 12 minutes long with total accumulated of less than 40 minutes during those one-hour workouts or 90-minute workouts. Breaking an FTP effort into 10-minute segments with recovery seems to undermine some of the training benefit that comes from more sustained efforts. Without upping the intensity, it just seems like a 10- or 12-minute effort is too easy. After all, these are supposed to be done in an effort that can be maintained for one hour. Can you explain your reasoning? Thanks. Yeah, I think Jonathan actually touched on it. He, he added in within the confines of 60- and 90-minute workouts. <clears throat> and that's why these intervals are as short as they are. I mean, we can't exactly pack... Uh, a couple 20 minutes into an hour long workout with a reasonably long warm up and then anything of a cool down and, and time in between the intervals. So when we're working within the confines of 60 minutes or even 90 minutes, kind of have to, uh, the longer the intervals, the longer the recoveries have to be. And that, that limits just how much we can do. If however you find you have more time, then there's nothing to say you can't uh, modify these workouts, use our workout creator and just extend them. Um, typically, with sweet spot, sweet spot, you know, the, the recovery is about a fourth or even less than the duration of the work interval with threshold. It's usually kind of a, a one to two sort of thing. You know, you work for 10 minutes and you recover for five. Um, and, and this is kind of limits what we can do with inside an hour. So 12 minutes may not seem like a whole lot of time, but if you're riding very close to threshold for 12 minutes and your FTP is pretty accurately assessed, those 12 minutes will be quite demanding such that when you roll into your five or six minute recovery, you'll be happy it's that long and that the intervals are that short. But with all that said, if you want to, you know, make the workouts a little tougher, make the intervals a little longer then uh, absolutely jump into our workout creator and do so. Yeah. And two, uh, there are a lot of workouts that are actually like that. I did one yesterday, um, eclipse sweet spot base one, it's uh, 90 minutes long, and it's three times 20 minutes with five yeah. minutes rest in between with uh, eight, between 88 and 94% FTP. Um, another workout that we have in our library is called uh, Gray. That's 2 by 20. It has a very little uh, cool down at the end, but that's a straight 2 by 20 workout. That's the kind of classic one. So if you want to do that. Um, and there's another one that uh, I forget the name of it, but it's yeah, we've a even three, got a 3 by 30, a 3 by 20, a 4 by 20 is out there. Yeah, I mean, like they're totally in there. Oh yeah, Star King. So I'll tell you guys that a little bit about, about. I'm gonna tell you about the man plan for a second. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this the uh, in the office where you know we all want to beat each other. We're kind of already have our pegging order, but I've developed something called the man plan, which is a silly plan and just designed to totally smash and kill you. Um, That's the disclaimer. And, That's the yeah. Disclaimer. So don't do this. <laughs> And it's, Chad, it's a, Chad did not make this plan. <laughs> it's a recipe to destroy yourself. What, what, what we did and, and to kind of burn yourself out and it burnt everyone out who did it. But what it was is it's a uh, gray on Tuesday, star King on Thursday. So gray is actually star King on Tuesday, then gray on Thursday. Star King is um, three by 15 minutes at threshold with five minutes rest in between. So if What's you can gray? do, uh, so you do star King three by or three by 15 and then you do uh, gray, which is two by twenty at threshold. And then if you can do, if you can hold your FTP through both of those, you do one uh, VO two max workout, which I think is like six intervals of five minutes at one hundred and twenty percent, something crazy. Three minutes, yeah. Yeah, and then as soon as you can do those three workouts, you raise your FTP five watts and do it again. <laughs> so again, it's not a smart plan, and it's bad, and um, yeah, you, you actually get less. 
throughout the season, you get less fit because you're not consistent. <laughs> so I don't recommend this to anyone, but I'm just, uh, we do have those, those workouts, workouts do exist. Yeah. They those work, workouts they do, do exist. exist and don't do what I just said. It's much better just to go through like a build and actually get all the work and not burn yourself out. So at the beginning of June, you're like, I hate this. I'm, I'm just going to go ride long and slow outdoors. And- if you were doing like a strength endurance block of training, that might actually be a really good fit for it. Something, something formatted like that. Certainly not long term. It's a short deal. Mm-hmm. Ooh, maybe yeah. we should make a little short one like that. Jack. Yeah, I, I, I'm thinking that might be pretty much what we do. It's real close. Thre- threshold, threshold, crazy VO2 max. Threshold, yeah. threshold, crazy VO2 max. Yeah. We can still call it the man plan, maybe. <laughs> no, people will be offended. It's got a good ring to it. <laughs> Let's uh, we call it like M A H N, like some other. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we'd have to. Yeah, we'd have to change it around somehow. Yeah. Um, all right, Rory has a question. How important is weight for criterium racing? And first of all, um, Chad, uh, Chad's an excellent criterium racer, so he's going to have great, uh, great insight for this one. Um, Chad, before we get into his circumstances, do you want to address this one, or do you want to go into his go uh, into the context? Well, we cover first? it. He's got some good points. Cool. So this year, uh, this is what Rory says. This year, I'll be mainly racing a criterium season from May to September in the UK with the occasional rolling road race. I wanted to take my racing up a notch again and have started with you guys. Uh, And he says that he's 23 years old. My power numbers are average for Cat 2 racing currently about, and he said you're about uh, 4.35 watts per kilogram, and that's indoors. Um, And he said that you're in your base phase right now. But at my strongest in summer, I was around 4.7 watts per kilogram from outdoor tests. Good job. That's fast, Rory. Um, overall power profile is that of an all-rounder, maybe slightly stronger in sprints. I've raced okay for two seasons and feel I can still improve a lot. So my current weight is only about two kilograms over the lowest I've raced. And you mentioned it's 72 kilograms is what you uh, what is the, your personal best, but you're currently a 74. More successful racers on my team constantly encourage me to drop my weight, but (laughs) they don't sound like pleasant people. Um, But any attempts I have leads to severe fatigue and impaired training. How important is it for me to drop my weight as my goals are mainly for criteriums? Thanks, guys. Keep up the amazing work. Uh, Your monthly fee is the best money I have spent in cycling. Nice. I like it. That's the goal. So, Chad, um, first of all, how important is weight in criterium racing? So... <clears throat> first off, ask me, I'm a, I'm a big guy. Um, I, I push big Watts, but I also have to carry a lot of weight, but on a flat course, that's not a big issue. It's certainly not anywhere as, as consequential as it is when the road tips upward. So the, it, it kind of comes down to course profile on flat, fast courses. It's, it's so not a concern. It just, especially in your case, when you noticed you can get maybe two kilograms lighter before your power starts to fall or before you start having issues. So you're, you're already there. You're not going to be able to change your, your weight to strength ratio much in terms of weight or when it comes to weight loss. Um, if the course rolls, if it has like, you know, sharp, steep climbs, even then, I mean, there are courses like Nevada city, they're up, 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 down, 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 all kind of comes out in the wash. Um, if you've got good short power and you can repeat it over and over weight's still not really an issue. Um, that one thing to consider is the, maybe the technicality of the course. If you're coming out of a lot of turns and you have to accelerate over and over again, and you're not really good at riding at the front and finding the cleaner lines, then your weight starts to work against you because you basically have to spin up that much extra weight again and again and again. And over a course that you're doing tens and tens of times, it's got maybe seven, eight turns in it. That adds up to a lot of acceleration and a lot of extra work because you're packing, you know, in your case, two extra kilos, about five extra pounds. So it it can become of consequence uh, dependent on the course, um, how well you race, where you position yourself, you know, there are a lot of other factors, but in general for criterium racers, not a big deal. And two, uh, if it's flat, maybe spend some money on aero upgrades or like a road aero helmet, yeah, something good like wheel that. Set, stiff, stiff bike. Um, yeah. It did tactics. I mean, hugely, that's hugely that's, important. Uh, and granted, you didn't mention anything about tactics or any of that stuff, Rory. We're just throwing out ideas that we have that we see are that are effective um, for us or for others. But I know for for criterium racing, I think that your question you're leading a bit with a question, right, Rory? I assume that you're thinking these guys are pressuring me to lose weight, but um, and I still smash it in the crits and. And that's very much the case. I know, I mean, I always try to find, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a featherweight. I'm a pretty light guy. I weigh 140 pounds in race, race form. And I'm always hunting for guys like you, Rory, and guys like Chad, because you just have massive power and you generally cut a big hole through the wind and I can sneak in right behind you guys. Um, so, I mean, you, 
it's tough. Like Chad said, the key is, and this is where tactics come in and aerodynamics and everything else. If you're at the back of the race, your weight matters. Um, and it's going to matter more, the more you're back there. But if you're the type of person that stays in the front third, um, and makes moves happen and, and is smart about how you expend your energy, then you actually have uh, certain advantages over the light guys in flat criteriums. So yeah, I'd concern myself in your case more with growing your power than losing weight. And in general, like I think a recommendation is if you know that when you get that light and you're at an elite level at 4.7, um, and it's physically impairing you and you, and you get severe fatigue, that's a sign. Is that right, Chad? Like yeah, you should far. not go any. Yeah, you, you, exactly. Yeah. Something about that doesn't work for you. If you're at two, two and a half or three Watts a kilo there, you most likely you have some weight to lose, but at your level, you're probably, uh, your body composition is pretty ideal. Yeah. Yeah, probably not going to change much. Liam, I'm new to Trainer Road and I'm loving it. I am, or was, a fairly competitive uh, racer with an FTP around 270. Then I had kids. Uh, With two children under two years old, the best I can hope for is three turbo sessions per week. I was hoping to get your advice on what program would be best to maintain some semblance of fitness, perhaps even improve my FTP. Uh, You note that last test, after a month off the bike, you came in at 250. The obvious place to start is your low-volume maintenance plan, it seems, of, of which I am currently in week three. Uh, but would you suggest I just do this over again once complete? Um, now, Liam, I don't think that we have necessarily any goals for Liam, so that's that's generally key. But Yeah, it's um, in this case, Liam, your limitation, as, as you put it to three turbo sessions a week, that is really the basis for all of the training plans I design. Um, so every low-volume plan out there, is comprised of three intensity sessions per week and, and most of the time, nothing else. So you really have a choice of any training plan you want to follow. So, and because you don't have any goals uh, specified here, I'd recommend taking a peek at the sweet spot base plan, low volume. That'll give you a Tuesday, Thursday workout, and then a Saturday, slightly longer workout, which, you know, if you happen to be limited to less than 90 minutes on Saturday, you can even trim that one or repeat one of the, the weekday ones, but three days a week is really all you need. That's that's your bare bones requirement. So you're good to go. And uh, sweet spot based low volume two chat. I noticed that goes up to four workouts a week. And Wednesday has kind of thirty minute easy spins. Exactly. How important are those? And not what should- not much. That's I mean that that's just kind of to prime you for sweet spot base two by adding that extra little bit of volume in toward the latter half of that plan. You you mean prime you for build for build one? Yeah. build? Yes, yeah, sorry. So if he were to do that, he could drop those Wednesdays or skip Easily, them. yeah. Yeah, that Wednesday, the recovery rides, some people uh, respond well to them. They get on the bike and they spin for an extra half hour and their next workout is, for whatever reason, a little bit better because of it. Um, some people don't need them. Uh, personally, after a hard workout, I find that if I make myself get on the bike uh, during that interim day, um, I have a better subsequent workout. So for me, it works to have that that easy time on the bike, even if it's just a 30-minute light spin. Some people, you know, you may find you don't need it. Liam, I understand, though, with kids and stuff, just getting the bike set up and having that time is crazy hard. So, sure. Yeah. And, hey, Chad, we should update that description of that plan to kind of just what you said to mention that in there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah and, and one thing, Liam, too, I know, I know um, as Nate mentioned, the time thing can be tough. And I'm sure you're doing this, but optimizing the, the the preparation for training is key. And I mean, Nate's even dug into trying to combine training with kids. He got a fat bike for the snow, and he got a sled for to pull his kids around in. <laughs> no, so. my trailer, my bike trailer has skis on it. <laughs> there we are. So he can he can hit up the snow and take the kids with him. So not exactly structured training. Maybe he could still do intervals with them, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, Graham, hey there. I'm pretty new to Trainer Road as I only purchased a power meter in the last couple of months. I'm really enjoying the session so far, though, and hopefully we'll see benefit next year. You should see benefit before next year, Graham. Um, I'm a triathlete, and it was great to see your new triathlon plans launched last week. So for those that don't know, um, we've launched uh, base training plans that are specific to different disciplines of triathlon and build plans. Um, so that, that essentially it's going to take care of your swimming and running. Granted, we aren't telling you exactly where to do those and it isn't, we aren't going to have workouts in our app that you can do, but we have workouts laid out in description. Chad writes down exactly what you should do for the workout, suggests them. So your training is taken care of for all three disciplines, which is pretty cool. Um, my main races in 2016 will be at the half Ironman distance, and I'm going to start the new half Ironman base plan in January. I'll use the build and specialty once they are released too. So 
build has been released since he got there. Uh, my question is around race pace. I did my first half Ironman distance race during the summer. I had a good bike leg, but fell apart a bit on the second half of the run. This could have been down to not enough training or run training done or going too hard on the bike. So how should you be judging your race pace on the bike? Uh, should I be using a percentage of my normalized power or should you work off the intensity factor, um, averaging 0.85 or something like that? He suggests, I really want to know what metric I could use most effectively on race day. So this piggyback somewhat on the Garmin question, um, that we had earlier, uh, we're that was talking about what you're going to display, but Nate, is there a specific metric that you like to use? Yeah. So, uh, what you're going to do is you're going to find a target power, which is normally a percentage of FTP and for a half Ironman, anywhere between 75 and 85% for most people. And, uh, that's a general thing. If you're a pro, you can, you can handle a little bit more. And something to realize is the faster you can do your half Ironman bike split, the higher percentage of intensity you can do. So like the, the higher watt number you can do, the higher percentage of your FTP. And that's because you're actually going to be doing it longer. So if you can do a half Ironman in two hours and 10 minutes, you can hold a lot higher percentage FTP as if someone who's doing it for three hours and 30 minutes, right? That makes a lot of sense. So in, in general, you have to know how fast you're going to do it. But if you're going to go in about two and a half hours, uh, I say about probably like 85% you could do. And if you get down closer to two hours, you might even be 88, 90%. If you're three, three and a half, if you're three and a half, probably down to 75, three, more like 80%, somewhere in there. And then, um, so once you get your percentage FTP, that's going to equal, you could either look at your intensity factor, your average power, or I said, just look at your, you know, your watts second by second and try to hit your target. Yeah. So that from what I've seen, intensity factors for half Ironman distance bike leg falls between 0.8 and 0.9. So 0.85 is right in between there. It's, it's kind of up to you, Graham, to figure out what percentage of your threshold you can hold for, you know, two, two and a half, three hour long, depending on how long it is for you, what pace you can sustain and then still run well off the bike. So, you know, whatever you did last time was probably a little too fast. So over the course of your training, or maybe during a B priority event, a practice event, see what you can get away with. See what happens when you keep your intensity at, at 0.85. If, if in fact you want to monitor your intensity factor, maybe you can get away with a little more, maybe you're safer sticking with a little less. Um, but obviously you don't want to overdo it or same thing's going to happen. You're going to fall apart on the run. And if I could just add best bike split again, we mentioned it already, but that can help you lay out a good plan so that when you're on the mm -hmm. bike, you can pace with it. Um, it's a great tool to use. Um, Scott, hi guys, love your podcast and look forward to it every week. My question relates to working a sweet spot base program around shift work. I haven't seen this issue addressed by anyone anywhere. Um, there must not be a lot of blue collar cyclists. I think there are. <laughs> I th definitely think there are. So, definitely. Um, yeah, I am 48 years old and I have some decent numbers. I think my FTP is around 340 um, on your tax Vortex Smart. Um, I work a four on four off shift. So four on uh, four days on. That's f and then four days off for those that don't know. Uh, two 12 uh, two 12 hour days. Then two 12-hour nights. I have to get up at 3.45 in the morning. That sounds rough. So needless to say, I am wiped out coming home on, on your day shift. I am wiped out after coming home uh, from the night shift. So I find it hard to stick to a traditional schedule when I have to decide whether to do my workout or sleep for the night shift. I do, however, have four days off. I'm home alone quite a bit throughout the day, so plenty of time to get on the trainer. It compromises your immune system when you're, when you're working hard on the trainer with little sleep or just not on the trainer specifically. He's just talking, I should say, I should add to that just in general. Um, any suggestions other than getting another job? Thanks guys. Um, Chad, yeah, what do so you say? Scott, I can actually relate to this, um, to a lesser extent, but my, my girlfriend's a veterinarian and she works really, uh, stringent, uh, work shifts. So she comes home pretty wasted. I'm very, very tired, long 12 hour days, often enough. So she's very much in the same boat and I've seen her wrestle with trying to, you know, do the workout beforehand. Then she goes to work already a little tired doing it afterwards, which is really hard because she comes home exhausted. So what she's done and what I would recommend you do or consider doing is you're going to have to block your training. I mean, it sounds like you have enough going on during your work days and getting a ride in, if anything, is just going to have to be easy sort of low key aerobic mileage, um, which maybe when you come off of one of these stretches, you do a day of that before you jump into your four days of training, which is the next component. So, so maybe you can over the course of those four days, get most of your quality 
quality in. Maybe that's that first day back, you do a hard workout, then an easy workout, and then you follow it with two days of quality, knowing that you're going to be off the bike for the next four days. Experiment with it a bit, but um, I'd be willing to bet you can get away with some pretty good training return if you just kind of block your training and then block your recovery. I think it's going to be better than than just kind of going deflated into workouts or coming out of them or coming out of them tired and into work shifts and just extending that fatigue. Yeah, and it's really common to for these type of situations to kind of cause panic in athletes that, you know, they, they feel like because of their schedule, they're not getting as much training as the rest of the people that they might be competing against or anything else like that. But that generally only puts you further behind. Um, we'll have a blog post out this week on blog.trainroad.com about how to use, and we've mentioned this before on the podcast, but how to use your resting heart rate to measure recovery. Um, as you mentioned, it compromises your immune system when you're working hard like that without resting well. Um, so measuring your recovery can be really helpful for you perhaps and, and trying to get a fix on that and, and see where you stand. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if there are any other tips that you would have on, on that end of things, Chad, on making sure that he's, he's fresh, but no, I, I mean, just as the same ones I'd recommend for anybody else. If you start to notice, um, you know, a waking heart rate, uh, correlated with, you know, just lack of motivation, uh, maybe scratchy throat, things like that. And, you know, you've probably pushed it a little too far time to back off earlier than perhaps planned. Um, but it, it, those same recommendations go, go for everybody, whether or not you're blocking your training or not. Rozzy, I'm a new cyclist road commuter, 46 years old, just picked up my road bike in June of 2014. I joined a local cycling club and we do long rides on the weekends but I'm struggling to figure out what type of training I need to do to be able to keep up with my cycling group. I learned all the techniques about staying in the draft, staying close to the front wheel. Um, I assume that you're meaning close to the front of the group, but simply and pure, um, but simply you say there is a time where my legs just won't spin fast enough and you get tired. This is so frustrating. Um, I do train indoors. Um, and you do a lot of training that's all structured. You say, you say you have base training, FTP stuff that you focus on everything else. So can we provide some insight guys to a guy that sounds like he feels like he's a relatively new cyclist, um, and he's struggling to keep up with the group, uh, power way on that FTP. That's it. I think that's what Chad's going to say mm-hmm. in general. I'm going to say sweet spot base as much volume as you can take. And mm-hmm. then general build. And then to a rolling road race or either rolling or hill climb road race, depending, maybe even hill climb to get your FTP up higher. But it's all, if you're a new cyclist, 46 years old, you probably have a long ways to go and just interval training with yeah. the trainer road, I think would do it. Exactly, exactly right. I think, Rosie, you're probably new to structured training. So you're basically just riding with guys who are a little fitter than you are. And that can be relentlessly frustrating. So you basically just have to get faster. You just have to build that FTP. And and if you are new, as I suspect, to structured training, you're going to see pretty good return pretty rapidly. So just as Nate uh, suggested, start with those sweet spot base plans and um, and go from there. You can you know feel free to contact us at the end of that if you're not seeing the sort of sort of return you expect, but I have a feeling two to three days of intervals each week, properly structured recovery and recovery weeks. You're going to be keeping up with those guys in no time. And keep in mind when Chad's saying uh, you're new to to interval training, it takes a long time, really. I mean, it's not an overnight type of a thing with some people they'll see quicker adaptations than others. But when you do this for years, when you've been doing structured training for years, there's definitely a benefit to that. That form carries through over the years. So, so be patient with yourself. Don't worry about it. And Maybe that's the best thing. When you go out with these group rides, just get out of your head um, with it. Don't don't worry about it. You're going to get there eventually if you're just doing the if you're doing the right things outside of that group ride. So, and the other thing is just um, depending where you live, maybe lose some weight. That's another thing. But uh, in general, that the late too. If you're not if you haven't done uh, interval training before, I notice that if I take time off, my weight just naturally comes down once I start doing a structured plan. Yep, certainly. Uh, we have two questions from duathletes, and Chad was a duathlete once, um, so you'll have some good insight here. I'm a duathlete with five-plus years of experience of structured training. I'm new to trainer road and want to experiment with the plans um, this season. I'm three weeks into your sweet spot base plan, and I noticed you've released a triathlon base plan. What is the difference between the two plans? So let's stop there and just answer that one. Um, Chad, coming from the perspective of a duathlete, what's the difference here between the sweet spot base and the triathlon base plans? It, pretty straightforward. Just the addition of swim and run workouts. Um, there are some other differences, but his other questions will address that. So swim and run cool. workouts. Okay, perfect. And, and just to clarify on that, are the bike 
portions of these triathlon base plans exact are they just sweet spot based with workouts tacked on? They're they're sweet spot heavy for sure. Um, in the in the base and uh, all the base phases across the different um, you know sprint through through full Ironman, but um, what he's asking is you know why why are they different? The, the bike um, the bike aspect of it and and, and this is just kind of there are different ways to do the same thing. So I, I didn't want to make the same plan and just, just tack on some swim and run workouts. So these get a little more specific to each distance. So the sweet spot plans are more general. Um, they're, they're they were designed to kind of be a catch all for, for all types of incoming athletes. We didn't have specific base base plans built. So I wanted a plan that would suffice for most types of athletes. Um, these triathlon base plans have allowed me to get a little more specific and that's what you're seeing. So even in the sweet spot, you say there's, you know, there's no work above FTP. There actually is, as you work toward the end of the sweet spot base two, you'll start seeing the integration of over-unders where you do actually spend a little time above. There are some, some neuromuscular tags and stuff like that where you do. Um, but one's more of a catch-all sort of design, whereas the triathlon plans are, are increasingly specific. And I'm looking at them right now. There's VO2 max workouts in here. It's pretty much sweet spot threshold VO2 max, sweet spot threshold VO2 max, which is pretty much a recipe to get faster. The other difference too, is that for the volume, um, like if you look at sweet spot base one compared to Olympic triathlon low volume, there's one less workout a week on Olympic triathlon low volume, because it's assuming that you're also doing, you know, twice as much work, uh, in the swim and the run. Exactly. Yeah. And just to clarify, these are not just sweet spot based with workouts tacked on. Um, I mean, clearly we've been talking about the the changes here, but, but there was a holistic approach taken to creating these plans. Um, and, and they were spe- specific for each discipline. So, um, remember base training doesn't mean that you are riding at the base of, an, of, of base level of intensities. And that's uh, a common misnomer that we have even subconsciously in our heads. Um, base training is laying the groundwork for a successful season in whatever discipline you're going to be doing. And, uh, in that case, uh, it depends on that discipline as far as what type of intervals you'll be doing during that time. So hopefully that uh, explains it there. Um, Lee and Anders has a follow-up question for duathlon. He says you have 19 weeks to get ready for a sprint duathlon on the 30th of April. Um, uh, but the weeks don't add up perfectly. If I want to follow, um, the training plan that you guys, uh, the, or follow a training plan since you guys have created the new triathlon plan. So really without getting into the specifics, he's asking, where should I cut a week if he's going to be preparing for a sprint triathlon? So from a principle based approach, Chad, is there a spot that's better to cut a week than another? Yeah. Well, in this case, it's really easy because the, this has a two week taper on the end of the specialty plan. So you just cut that down to a single week. Um, and that's with the sprint triathlon, a, a single week taper is plenty anyways. So that's an easy get. Um, in this case though, now that I've rolled out or we've rolled out the, the triathlon build plans, that's actually a four week build. So you've got 16 weeks, which leaves you with an extra three weeks. And in that case, I would, uh, recommend it basically extending your specialty phase a bit. So doing weeks one, two, three, four, and then five and six, and then maybe repeating five and six before you head into your taper. Cool. Uh, Tim, uh, I'm a former rugby and American football player here in the UK. I had no clue that they played American football there in the UK. Um, (laughs) Anyway, my main goal for 2016 is the Surrey London 100, which I'll be riding for charity at the end of July. I want to get a good time, but with my former sporting endeavors, I'm torn between trying to cut weight initially before focusing on the build-up to the 100-mile ride in the summer. I'm currently 240 pounds and 6'3", so I'm carrying a lot of weight that I just don't need anymore. I've already completed my first four-week low base uh, or four-week base plan, and I'm planning to add uh, to do another or four weeks of a base plan. And you're planning to do another one over the Christmas break uh, to keep with the workload up. So this one was sent in just before. I always try to train early in the morning, so on an empty stomach most days, and I'm trying to eat healthy in order to cut down on the weight through a build phase. The plan then is to jump into a couple of sweet spot based sessions followed by the build plan up to the 100. So his main question, do you have any advice on losing the weight in the initial training phases? Um, or is it worth it to take a longer term approach? What do you say, Chad? Yeah. First off, if you're on a low volume approach, I don't think the traditional plan, you did say that's the route you're, you're going, right? 
Yeah, it looks like that's what he said there. Yeah, so yeah. so my first suggestion would be to, to try the sweet spot based approach instead. Um, you've got to make up for you know what you lack with volume um, with intensity. So harder workouts are going to give you a, a bigger caloric burn during, uh, a bigger post-exercise burn afterwards. Uh, it is it, just going to make better use of the limited training time you have. So first and foremost, do that. Uh, as far as dietary recommendations, we try not to get too, too deep into that stuff because it's so subjective and it's such a massive topic. But I, w- one thing is just avoid obvious sources of sugar, especially when you don't need them. People think because they're doing a two-hour ride that they've got to have a, a bottle of Gatorade or, or a, an energy gel or something of that nature because it's a long ride. The fact of the matter is, if you're burning a lot of fat, you know, you got plenty of that on board. Um, eat much like when you drink, you know, when necessary, you know, drink to thirst, eat to hunger. Um, that's, it's kind of a blanket statement and, and potentially problematic, but you'd probably be surprised by how much work you can do on, on not a whole lot of ingested carbohydrate. My best tip, so I, I'm good at cutting my weight down and getting super skinny for my height, like 179 for six foot six, is to go to bed hungry. So when I, I tell people that want to lose weight, just expect that you're going to go to bed hungry every night. And if you can go to bed a little bit hungry every night, I know this is a huge rule of thumb, but I find that if I can power through that every night, and it's hard, right? Because it's like seven o'clock, eight o'clock rolls around and you're like a little bit hungry. Sometimes I'll, I'll drink like a, a spicy orange tea, which kind of upsets my stomach a little bit. I don't get hungry. And then I can go to bed. <laughs> being being hungry is hard to fall, to, to fall asleep. Just make to. yourself sick. You'll lose a lot <laughs> <Yeah>. of weight. <laughs> watch horror films with um, Human Centipede. Watch that. No, just kidding. The, uh, but yeah, just going to bed hungry. Like If you can go to bed hungry, you're going to lose a lot of weight. Uh, the, the other thing that we... Now, I'll save that for later. I'll save it for another time. <laughs> Teaser. Yeah, there we are. Um yeah, Nate, Nate's points are fantastic. The only thing that, that I would add to that is um, just try your best to, and, and this is just adding on to what Chad said really is, try your best to document what you eat for a while. And I think that you'll be surprised and that'll that'll help you find those little, those easy gains that you can do there. Um, yeah, my, my fitness pal is a great app mm-hmm. to uh, track how many calories. If you actually track how many calories you eat every day, you it'll blow your mind. If you're not a skinny guy, and then, I mean, it's a lot. So what, what I said is probably the easiest thing, but if you can go as far as tracking your calories with my fitness pal and just watch that and then try to reduce them. Oh my goodness. You'll, you'll lose. It's the magic recipe. It just is. reduce your calorie mm-hmm. intake by 200 calories a day, a calorie intake, you'll lose weight. Yeah. And if I could tag on to what Nate said earlier about going to bed hungry. Um, I agree with that. I do. I think it's effective. Um, the issue can arise and it does with me is it affects my sleep. I sleep poorly because I'm, I'm too hungry to sleep. Um, in that case, just a little dose of protein, like a hard boiled egg works extremely well. Doesn't add a whole lot of calories onto it. Gives your body a little, you know, extra protein to, to work with. You don't enter a catabolic state, et cetera, et cetera. So if you find going to bed hungry affects your, the quality of your sleep, then a small dose of protein prior to bed can go a long way. If I can't handle it, I'll do like a little small, um, tablespoon of peanut butter oh, there you go or sometimes i'll do a little yep. thing of like cheese that i really like and that'll be my kind of my reprieve yeah if you're going to eat something late um try to do something that's that's low in carbohydrates like that and something that's like eggs or that's just like chad although i don't like hard-boiled eggs so mm-hmm. I, I go scrambled but a scoop um, of protein powder yeah, yeah. As long as you're not mixing it with uh with pounds of honey right or whatever else you're drinking it with yeah, or right? juice or yeah, no, no sugar yeah. Yep, just avoid sugar. Um, Cancellara was famous for talking about that, and actually, somebody asked him about like what he eats late at night, and asked him if he eats fruit, and he got actually looked very upset that anyone would suggest eating fruit after six o'clock. So, um, <laughs> so just remember, Cancellara, don't eat it. Um, Stewart. Hi guys, I love Trainer Road and tell everyone I can that they have to get on it and get in on the action. Awesome, that's good to hear. Um, also, I really enjoy the podcast. I've given it five stars. I just Nice. I've just completed the half Ironman plan um, and you mentioned uh, the and then uh, the mid-volume one and raced at the Bayarat. I, I hope that's right. I'm sorry if I butchered that. Uh, 70.3 a week ago. Uh, managing to pick up a world championship spot. Nice. Uh, yeah. Way to go, man. That is awesome. And thanks to Trainer Road for that. Cool. Sweet. 
<clears throat> we love hearing that, by the way. If you guys do have any of that stuff, send it our way. Send it to support at trainerroad.com. We love hearing about your wins. Yeah, we so. do stories, too. Exactly. About exactly. about our users that are awesome like that. Yep. Uh, I plan on taking a bit of a break until starting up again in March with a half iron uh, with a half Ironman base plan. It's eight weeks. That's our half distance triathlon plan and a sustained build, which I assume you're probably going to be looking at a triathlon build plan since it just came out there. And then a half iron plan, uh, the half Ironman plan for eight weeks. Does this sound okay? So he's going from base build to specialty. So that's good. Um, also, should I keep up some regular training in the meantime or take a break when I freshen up? Um, I prefer to take a break, but not if it means losing what I gained. Um, so if so, what plan should I use? Cheers and thanks guys. So Chad, uh, he's planning on taking a break until starting in March. So what should he do in the interim? Yeah. So, so first question is his plan progression. Good with the half Ironman, um, base build and specialty. I think that's great. Especially if it times out, you're perfect. Um, as, as far as taking some time off, I think he'd probably benefit from that more than, more than you'd, uh, suffer from it. So over the course of something like a week. So, I mean, you could basically do nothing for a week and the impact on your fitness, your aerobic or uh, higher end will take a quicker hit, but, um, it's not going to, it's not going to affect you to the point that you need to be concerned with it. Um, anything over that week when you, is when you need to start f- factoring some, uh, aerobic endurance and, and some other types of thing back into it. But I doubt someone like you is going to want to take more than a week off anyway. So I would, he I would, says- he Go says ahead. here, uh, a break until March, so about two months. He's got some time. Oh, I did not read that. Yeah, so he's got some time. Um, oh, okay, so until now, until March. in that case, you're definitely going to want to do something. Um perhaps, I mean, you could go with a, a sweet spot plan just to, just to tide you over. It's a question of how much intensity you can tolerate and still stay motivated. Um, if, if for whatever reason, there's too much intensity in the sweet spot plan, you could even kind of fold it together with a little bit of the traditional base plan. So where you're doing, uh, kind of a blend of maybe just one or two high intensity workouts a week, keep them short, of course, and then, uh, just fold in a bit of aerobic endurance just to keep yourself active swims and runs as well. What about Chad? I've been in this position too, where you get kind of burnt out. And especially if you're going at a world championship level, Mm -hmm. you were probably training a ton. What about until March? I know we don't have a plan like this, but he could make something where he just does like a, a VO2 max workout, maybe one or two sports a week, yeah. you know, and just, just do that for like <clears throat> Yeah, you could, you could just do maintenance. It. Absolutely. So if you didn't want to, you know, lose too much of your edge, you could just, you know, like Nate well, said, do, do, a plan. do a VO2 max. We've got some maintenance workouts that, that might fit this really well. There's even time crunch ones that are just 30 minute, um, short and sweet, but very much to the point. Um, all they are is intensity. They get you on the bike, off the bike inside of 30 minutes. They can't consist of much else. Um, but yeah, you could just, uh, do a bit of maintenance, you know, a VO two max workout a week, maybe, uh, uh, an endurance or muscle endurance workout a week, and then just some riding for enjoyment on the weekend. And then of course yeah. your, your swim and bike or uh swim and run workouts as well. I so I, I take it back. We do have that. So if you look into our specialty uh, general fitness, there's a time crunch plan. And I, I really like that idea, Chad, of if he is burnt out 30 minutes, three times a week mm-hmm. of some hard workouts, that'll help maintain his fitness, but not also burn him out as much as if you're, I mean, he could, he might be training like 15 hours a week and just doing that yeah. for another two months could be. The psychological hard. portion of this is so key. Like, I mean, and, and, so, the, and I'm, I'm not a triathlete. Um, so, so I can't speak a hundred percent for this, but I mean, triathletes, you guys are so driven and you push your, yourself, you're more, you're more like I'll, I'll share for me, for example, I ride mountain bikes. And when I get in that flow state on a mountain bike, there's nothing more fun. Right. But I'm not sure there's a whole lot of fun with just like, you know, being in your aero bars forever. Right. It's so, crushing <laughs> dreams, Jonathan. Exactly. That's the fun part. <laughs> Exactly. This guy did. If he qualified, he crushed someone else's dream because somebody <laughs> tried to qualify and he got that spot. Exactly. That sounds so, brutal. So falling back in love with crushing dreams, whatever it might be, like fall back in love with do something that 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 allows you to maintain fitness that still keeps you doing what you're doing, but but focus on falling in love again. I know that's that's the fall for me after in autumn every year after the race season. I go for these stupid long rides and I go to places where I've never been before and I ride to these crazy high mountain peaks and I ride through rivers and I do these things that I don't do during race season. 
Um, I'm still working out. I'm still doing what I need to be doing. But at the end of that, I'm like, oh, I love riding my bike again. And I cannot wait to crush more dreams, like mm-hmm. Nate said, right, mm-hmm. um, in the race season. So <clears throat> I yet- don't know. I, I don't know if I'm speaking. I, I, I mean, I guess I am speaking out of line since I'm not a triathlete there. But that's an important factor, at least for me, is to to enjoy it, not well, just... You and know, bringing it back to the multi-sport athlete, there is one other option that springs to mind, and that's focus on your your weakest discipline, especially if it if li- if it limits your race performance. So you know, definitely keep up with the maintenance workouts that we've already described. But if you're not such a good swimmer, spend some more time in the pool. You know, four or five, even six days a week. Um, do it's just spend a, or devote a little extra time to that 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 weaker discipline. Of course, if it's running, you know, you're gonna have to taper or tame that with a little bit of, of good sense and not, not overdo the running simply because it's your weak discipline, but it could be an opportunity to, to target something that you're not great at. That, that tongue in cheek or the, uh, crushing dreams. That was tongue in cheek. I mean, <laughs> most triathletes, you know, we just want to improve ourselves that we're very goal oriented, but yep. you know, so yeah, certainly. I don't want hate certainly. mail. We're, we're they're mostly <laughs> nice. Triathlons like of all this. Well, mountain bike's really nice too. Road racing can be a little bit of Cutthroat. a little more uh, dream crushers there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. nailed that. Triathlons yeah. are more like we're all in this together. We're competing against ourselves. Yeah, let's get to that world championship level. Then you really do. Yeah, and, and just once again, man, kudos, way to go, Stuart. You're at the world champion yeah, level. Very impressive. Yeah, awesome. it, with with any actually. Two of us, myself and Trevor, we might be going to world championships this year, but it's for fat bikes, so that's really embarrassing. <laughs> so that's not quite – we're not on your level, Stuart. That's impressive stuff. Um, and, we, and we don't even need to qualify. They're just hoping people show up to that thing, I think. So um, Simon, hi, guys. Love the podcast and has inspired me to take on structured training this winter for the first time. And you're doing the sweet spot base plan to kick it off. That's great. Um, however, during the first six week phase, I will also be training for a couple of backcountry snowboarding trips. Nice. I'm, I'm addicted to backcountry skiing right now. So I feel you, Simon. Um, this will involve a couple of runs and I think by and runs, swimming and stretching per week. My plan is to couple this cross training with low volume, sweet spot base phase one, and then move to mid volume for sweet spot base two. Um, after snowboarding and with the cross training scaled right back. So would this approach cause a big step change in moving from low volume phase one to a mid volume in phase two? So he's talking about our sweet spot base plan has two different chunks. There's it's cumulative. There's the first half and then the second half, the second half is more intense. Um, so his question, Chad is if he moves from low volume to a mid volume, when he's going from sweet spot base one to two, should he expect a big jump there? Now, that's actually a really good question, Simon, and a good opportunity for us to kind of dissect stress. Um, there, there's all different types of stress, and if you're just looking at the stress you're accumulating on the bike, you're missing you know, a, a, big, a much bigger picture. Um, I like to look at things in terms of physical stress, mental stress, and emotional stress. And physical is pretty straightforward. Uh, mental stress is more like you know, a hard day at work or something that's very taxing on your brain. You're thinking, thinking hard, doing it for a long time, and then Emotional stress can, you know, be anything, you know, moving, uh, having a, a breakup or a divorce, something along those lines. Uh, but they're all different types of stress, but they all, uh, they all pull from the same pool. So if, where one may, maybe falls a little bit short, you're compensating for it in your case consciously on another level. So you're supplementing your training with, with, uh, some cross training. So the stress is still there. So when that dials back and then you jump into sweet spot base volume two and the, and, and you jump up to a higher volume version, I'm not sure that you're going to see much of a, an increase in overall stress, not any more than we intend or I intended with the, the step up from plan to plan. So I think you're okay. You're going to, you're going to trim one type of stress down and, uh, bring it back up with another type of similar stress. Perfect. And then as far as the, um, the cross training stuff, um, we actually have a question that it kind of relates to that, um, and I want to get to it before we close out here because we just have a few questions left. Um, so forgive me as I as I work through. Um, but Chad, let's let's touch on the cross training thing really quick. Um, we got the question like this a couple of weeks ago too with the person that asked, you know, I'm, I'm going to be taking time off to go do another activity. How do you work that into a training plan? Do you work that into a training plan? How do you take into consideration the 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 actual physical work that you did when you were out cross training, doing something other than cycling or multi-sport? Um, well, it's the time of year is <clears throat> the time of year to get away with this sort of thing is certainly during base training. When you're, when you're far enough out from your events that your fitness doesn't have to be honed. 
Um, and then what I just talked about earlier is that you just have to understand that you can only tolerate so much stress. And this time of year, the stress is relatively or comparatively probably pretty low. So if your cross training is in fact high intensity, then, you know, just swap it out for a high intensity bike workout. If it's low intensity, then maybe you just supplement the existing high intensity work. Um, it just, just be sensible about it and, and try to keep, uh, again, the bigger picture in mind that stress all comes from, you know, the, the same source, your body. And since, and that backcountry snowboarding stuff though, certainly don't look at it as a replacement for your workouts directly. That's, that's the one thing that a common misconception, just cause it's, it might be high intensity or low intensity and your workouts prescribed workouts may coincide with that. It doesn't necessarily mean you're getting the same training effect, right, Chad? Yeah. Yeah. yeah True. That's a key. Uh, Robbie, if I start my base training with a high FTP earned during race season, can I expect my FTP to drop after or during my base training? Um, or should it stay at least on the same level? So from season to season, um, you, should you see your FTP drop Chad? Is this normal? Yeah, it's pretty much a a necessary evil. So if you're on a traditionally uh, periodized plan, or even if you're not, uh, the body works kind of cyclically. So, uh, in your case, you spend the course of a season elevating your threshold to a point that it was higher ideally than last season. So when it does drop back down or dip back down, it doesn't dip back down as far such that you're starting at a higher level than you started last year, which means ideally you're going to elevate it to a higher level than you elevated it this season. So you will see a decrease, but ideally you're not going to fall as low as you fell the prior year, but it is kind of a necessary thing. Our bodies don't work in, in, in the manner we, we can't just build fitness upon fitness upon fitness. At some point there has to be a downturn. Perfect. And final question from Neil. Um, and he talks about a gravel grinder and his name is Neil. So I'll just assume this is our friend at road bike action, uh, Neil Shirley, cause he's a beast with gravel grinders. So, <laughs> but I'm, I'm sure it's not, um, I'm doing a 120 mile gravel grinder at the start of April, then a half Ironman at the end of June. How would you structure training for these? I was thinking of starting with a half Ironman base plan, um, but swapping the cycling for one of the sweet spot based programs. I feel I can take my biggest uh, triathlon gains and with some structured on cycle training. I chose the gravel grinder mainly to give me something just to focus on over the winter. So that's kind of a strange mix, a, a cycle yeah. or a triathlete that wants to do a gra- gravel grinder there. Yeah, it sounds as though the gravel grinder is done more for fun and you're not really you don't have any particular goal other than giving yourself some focus, which I think is a terrific idea. Um, personally, I would just structure your training, uh, shooting for that, the half distance triathlon, the fitness will come along to a point where you'll probably have a, a great time during the gravel grinder. Um, if you want to f- go to the extent of swapping workouts out, if you know that there are workouts that are more specific to what you're going to face during the gravel grinder and you want to mix things up a bit and do a little extra work on your part, no problem with that. Um, but if you don't want to do all that extra thinking. I think if you just, just line things up, focusing solely on your half distance triathlon, come what may with the gravel grinder. Yeah. And that training you're going to be doing for the half distance triathlon is really going to complement actually pretty well for a gravel grinder. Most mm-hmm. of them, you know, you come across steep climbs every once in a while in those certainly in some cases more than road races, but the majority of them carry out much like a road race as far as the, the profile you're racing on. Um, and his last point, I can also fit in an hour or longer each way cycle commute some days. Should I do this? Should I do the commute slow? And in addition to the other training, use it to replace a trainer road, uh, workout or just forget it and use the time at home on the trainer. We, Nate, you've had advice on this before exactly like that. And Chad, what are your thoughts on commuting? Yeah, I like, um, commutes I use almost solely for accumulation. So just extra mileage. So if I know I need a little extra TSS, or if I'm just trying to keep my training load, on an upward swing, um, these commutes are an excellent way to do that. Um, if you can weave in some intensity and it doesn't come at the expense of, of your higher quality workouts at home, that's all good and fine. I just find that's kind of a tough thing to do on a commute, not to mention you arrive at work in a sloppy state. Um, I reserve my quality almost entirely for, for riding the trainer. And obviously I'm a, I'm a biased resource or a biased source on the matter, but, uh, I, I find that those are it's just the best place to do that sort of training. Anything that's going to be interrupted with all the things that commutes can be interrupted with, uh, I, I would just try to log some extra base mileage. And Chad, you might be biased, but like we met before Trainer Road because you were doing CompuTrainer 
indoor cycling classes like you know what i mean you were you were that way before you, oh, yeah. you were yeah a and, found, and i did it because of, it worked i mean my, my yeah. whole business sprung out of uh, self-interest i mean i wanted to do this because i wanted to get faster and i recognized i had limited time and i wanted an excuse to buy a compu trainer frankly so one thing <laughs> led to another and i started doing this and i kept doing it because it's highly effective it works yeah. so uh, with that commute of the commute slow um that uh, Neil was talked about. So the sweet spot base mid or low volume sweet spot sweet spot base two low volume. There's that thirty minute ride. That would be something that someone could replace yeah. with something like this a commute. Exactly. That's basically what it is. It's just a little extra volume. No 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 intensity whatsoever. Just get on, turn your legs, accumulate uh, you know a handful of extra TSS points. Having said that, make sure you're not getting carried away in that commute. Um, if you are doing that, do not turn Strava on during that commute um, because you'll be tempted to push it in certain, you might have a tailwind on that segment you've already, you've always chased and you want to actually snipe somebody's KOM because you've got a tailwind and you might end up pushing yourself too hard. That's, that's one thing, you know, we've mentioned this before with commuting. If you can save time by not commuting on bike and then put that into time on the trainer, you're going to get faster. And, and if you are trying to, and trust me, uh, maybe it, perhaps I'm just too overzealous, but I've tried to do my recovery workouts and replace those with a commute. It doesn't work. I'm, I'm just a red blooded racer. And what happens is that at some point I see a person that I want to chase down on the road or I have a tailwind and I want to get a KOM or whatever happens. I, Someone passes you on the road. <laughs> yeah, that, that does not happen. That's a, that that's can't a happen. hard thing to swallow. <laughs> and so that's really tough. Um, and knowing us type A competitive cyclists and triathletes, it, we're, it's pretty tough for us to give that stuff up. So as, as ideal as the commuting can be, and if the commuting does help you fall in love with riding your bike more, then there's value there, you know? Um, but if if the commute is just for you to try to squeeze in more time, um, yeah, it's, it could be there, but I would, I would suggest you examining the opportunity of just putting in more time on your trainer instead. Um, or I should say just structured work instead. So, uh, so yeah, that covers it. Thanks a bunch guys. Uh, thanks for all the questions. We'll get to, uh, we didn't get to all of them this week and we'll get to more hopefully as we, uh, as we progress through in the next show, you can find this podcast once again on iTunes, just search for it. Um, train a road or ask a cycling coach, you can find it on SoundCloud and you can find it on Stitcher and every other app that you use to listen to your podcasts. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks a bunch. Thanks everybody. Thank you.